This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 10. This is Writing Excuses, developing your personal style. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we are going to do a podcast on style, in which we are going to focus directly on author voice instead of character voice. Mary, what do we mean by style? So the interesting thing about voice or style is we, we talk about it and we mean three different things. And unsurprisingly, I am going to use a puppetry metaphor to explain what we're Ooh, talking about. I love these. So when we you talk, can't see it, but she has an actual puppet. She's totally one. To he's us. he's completely accurate there, uh, and the people on video feed are really enjoying this moment. I didn't um, realize Howard was a puppet all along. <laughs> yes, that's why he has no pants. <laughs> okay, so um, and I want you to all appreciate that I am not going for the rest of the jokes that are mm. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just leave that for the reader. So personal voice, mine is clearly involving puppetry. When you're looking at puppets, we, we talk about what is the style of puppet. And it breaks down into basically three things. And they're the same three things that they break down in with writing. There's the mechanical style, which is what kind of puppet are you using? Is it a, a marionette? Is it a rod puppet? And with writing, that's are you first person? Are you second person? What's your mechanical style? That's easy to teach. Right. We've se- done that on the podcast yes, many times. Then there's your aesthetic voice or aesthetic style, which is what does the puppet look like? Does it look like a Muppet? Does it look like something from the style of Chagall? What does it look like? And the aesthetic voice in writing is what does it sound like? Are you going for someone that sounds like they're from the Appalachian? Are you mm-hmm. going for Jane Austen? Um, are you going for neutral American? Which, and, and let's just be clear that, that the neutral voice uh, is a fashion thing that comes in and out. Right. Uh, Jane Austen wrote in neutral voice in her day. Neutral voice in modern America in 2017 when we are recording that means middle class white male. Yeah, based on newscasters, right? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. The newscasters, the anchormen in particular. Yep. Um, and then the last one is personal style. And this is where puppetry becomes a very useful metaphor. If you take the same puppet and you hand it to two different people, it looks like a totally different character. And every single listener, even the ones who are not watching the video feed, who has ever seen Kermit the Frog when manipulated by Jim Henson and then modern Kermit, who's done by Steve Whitmire, it he he's a different character. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's still Kermit, but it's he's different. And that's because of all of the tiny little idiosyncrasies of taste and personal life experience at, that that go into the character. So that Steve is making tiny different choices than Jim did, even though he's a brilliant puppeteer. And so what we're talking about when we're talking about author choices, and this is why everybody who wants to write should be writing, is, be- is because that, that personal voice, that thing that is made up of your lived experience and your personal taste, that's the thing we can't teach you. What we can do is try to help you unlock and learn to trust that. Right. It's like a fingerprint. Yeah, exactly. Um, and when... It's really interesting. You may have had this experience, listeners, if you've done any kind of higher education classes in writing. Often they will talk about style. And they'll preface it by saying, you guys don't need to worry about this. You'll develop naturally. And then they will spend a lot of time looking at different author styles and how awesome they are to just intimidate you by the fact that you're supposed to have one of these things and you're not sure how to make yourself have one of these things. And then they'll tell you, don't worry, you can't make yourself have one of these things. (laughs) But the great authors all have great ones. 
I, and it gets really frustrating. My experience with style has been that it is very much like that drinking game where everybody has the name of a famous person taped to their head, <laughs> and you are trying to guess what name is taped to your head. Wait, wait. Why is why why are you the one who's doing? Why am I not doing the drinking analogy? <laughs> drinking game analogy. I've never played it as okay. a drinking game, but I've seen it played okay. as a drinking game. Yeah, Mormons do it as as, as an ice breaking game. Yes, yeah, an ice breaking game or a, a family get together yeah. thing. Yeah, um, I just don't know why that's funny with us. Yeah, this is what happens when we haven't recorded together in a long time. You guys are getting an interesting episode today. Yes. Anyway, the the point there is that the person the person's style that is the most difficult for you to evaluate is often your own mm-hmm. and getting someone else's input into it is super helpful. Um, when you wrote, Mary, when you wrote as Pat Rothfuss on Twitter, um, Pat was completely unaware of his Twitter style. Yeah. Uh, but Twitter's verification algorithms knew what his style was <laughs> and you nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's an interesting example because um, because there's been a couple of times in my career where I'm trying to emulate someone else's style, um, and f- what I have to do, and this is this is I think important to understand, is that what I'm mimicking there is is their aesthetic voice as much as I'm mimicking mm-hmm. anything else. So in in the Jane the the my glamorous histories books, I you know I'm emulating Jane Austen. But in each novel, I I would literally put in, I would just drop a line of Jane Austen in every single time, uh, and and I mean this this is without exception every single time my editor and the copy editor would flag it as awkward, <laughs> and which gave me great satisfaction to go step Jane Austen, but the the reason that they were flagging it as awkward is because even though I was trying to emulate her style, there is a difference Mm -hmm. between the way she writes and the way I write. Yeah. When I've done this, what I tend to do if I want to imitate someone's styles, I look for a few hallmark pointers Mm -hmm. that you can use intentionally and it can kind of fake it. Yeah. Um, But for me, it often strays into parody really fast because of that. Because I'm sure there are people out there who can mimic a style. Ghostwriters learn to do this and things uh, whatnot. But when I tried doing it for The Wheel of Time, it was very parodyrific, right? It was very much a caricature because I was taking the certain things that are known as Robert Jordan traits and I was putting them in and it was not jiving with my own style at all. Yeah. And and this is what we're talking about when we're saying why it's so important for you to learn to trust your own taste when you're trying yeah. to, de- you know, when your style is developing. Because one of the things that, that can happen to an early career writer is that you will take everybody else's feedback on what you should be writing. It's one of the reasons that I don't let people give me line notes. Mm-hmm. Um that that I don't want them is because line notes are almost always about personal style. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes it is. I don't understand what you're talking about. But that those are the ones that are so frustrating because they're trying to make you sound like them. Yeah. I the idea of, of trusting your personal style is one I really want to focus on for a second because to, to put you all at ease, everyone out there who is terrified, as everyone is when we talk about finding your personal style, I, eight years into this professional career, have no idea what my personal style is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I don't know doesn't matter. Correct. 
and I can still write what I do. I know I have one and I know I, I could probably pick out elements of it, but I've never sat down and figured it out because that's not a necessary part of being a writer. You don't have to define that for yourself if you are intimidated by it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's stop for our book of the week, which actually Dan is going to give to us. Yeah. The Inklings. So, uh, The Inklings is a kind of sort of biography, I guess, of a writing group. The Inklings was the writing group formed by C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, Charles Williams, and a handful of others at Oxford University. And that's where the Narnia books came from and Lord of the Rings. And uh, Charles Williams wrote a bunch of horror novels and all these other things. Um, It is a fascinating book. It's written by Humphrey Carpenter, who wrote uh, what is considered by a lot of people to be the definitive biography of Tolkien. And this expands on that and it looks at the other members of the group. And so it's not fiction, but it's just really interesting. And as a look at a writing group in particular and how their backgrounds informed what they wrote and informed each other and the notes that they gave to each other uh, is really interesting. I I think, especially in light of, of this conversation about voice and style. When Brandon and I started our writing group, we specifically modeled ourselves on the Inklings. And uh, so so who am I and who are you? <laughs> I suppose I have to be Williams because I'm the horror guy, but I don't know. And you get to be Tolkien because you're the successful guy. <laughs> which means we're still looking for our Lewis. I don't know which of the original group would be our C.S. Lewis. Uh, well, let's move on from that. <laughs> anyway, Humphrey Carpenter, The Inklings, uh, really cool book. Um, so we say you have to learn to trust your personal style. I would like to dig into what that means and has meant for you. So one of the things, um, and Dan and I were actually just talking about this as, as we were coming over today. Um, one of the things for me is recognizing that the, the voice that I'm using, the style, that, the, that what it's about is not just the way I shape the words, not just my taste there, but also what I am choosing to talk about. Um, and, and the ways in which I'm choosing to talk about it. And one of the things that I've had to learn to do is to, to that I'm just now learning to do is to, to trust the fact that, you know, I'm from the South and, and I never get to see Southerners portrayed in a, right. You know, right. There's mm-hmm. a certain stereotype yeah. or two or three and not very laudatory stereotypes no. usually used. And, and, you know, Historically speaking, there's some good reason for that. Mm. Uh, but what I what I realized was that there were times when editors were editing out uh, my mm-hmm. choices, and they were choices that were comfortable to me, and they were turning it into something else. Oh, I see what you're saying. And, yeah, and this mm-hmm. is this is one of those things that um, a lot of the community right now in science fiction and fantasy is talking about the the own voices movement which is trying to, to get fiction written by someone from a community. Right. And, and that it doesn't have to sound like the newscaster right. from, that is imitating the Midwestern accent. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things that I realized was it's like I can mimic the mechanical or aesthetic style of another community, but but that personal thing, that I can't mimic. And, and likewise, they can't mimic mine either. So, for instance, here's a, a – this is not puppet-related. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may have done this one on the podcast before, but, you know, being from the South um, – we, we do a lot of uh, avoiding of putting people in a position where they have to say no, because that's very rude. Um, so I've read lots of books where, the, you know, they've got the y'alls in the right place. They've got the, you know, I'm going to go on over. They've got the aesthetic style of the Southern accent, but they've got people asking directly for things. And I'm like, you wouldn't, you would never do that. It's mm-hmm. very unsouthern. It's very mm-hmm. unsouthern. Like my mom... My husband and I were home, and, and my mom was, said, "There's a bag of apples on the uh, fresh. Uh, there's a bag of fresh apples on the counter in the kitchen." And I'm like, "Oh, great! I can have a pie ready for tonight." Mm. And my husband was like, "How do you know she wants a pie?" I'm like, "Because there's a bag of apples <laughs> on the counter." And and he's like, "Is that what you wanted?" And she's like, "Well, yes. If it's not too much trouble." <laughs> And if she had, if she'd been offering right. me an apple, she would have said, "Do you want an apple?" But, right. But it's that kind of conversation. That that example is is the kind of thing that you know when you are writing with your own voice, uh, when you are reading a book that is written with someone who is writing in their own mm-hmm. voice, that you're going to get that no one else is going to write. Mm-hmm. For me, um, it has come down to kind of trusting that it's okay to have a translucent or a transparent prose style, right? It's this idea that uh, not all prose has to try to be lyrical. Yeah. Um, now, it should sound good. Being lyrical is different from, being, from sounding good. But early in my career, I'm writing this, and I'm like, I just want to get to the story. Is there a way you can artistically just get to the story as opposed to, you know, everything that— because I do read some stuff that is grating on my ears that is trying too hard, yeah. so hard to get the story. Is there a way mm-hmm. you can artistically make your prose disappear so that character and story come through? And that was a conscious choice on my part to develop over time and com- being confident that despite what my professors were telling me, it was okay to use the more direct and uh, and simple word yeah. as opposed to the one that you would use to evoke a poetic yeah. uh, sensibility. <laughs> yeah. That not all of our writing needs to impress a college English professor. Mm-hmm. As I've been writing the uh, uh, world book entries for um, uh, Planet Mercenary, uh, the copy editor has begun choking on some of the things that I've that I've written. And Sandra has had to, in a couple of cases, come to me and said, you know, are, are we going to fight over this change? No, no, that's, that's totally right. Uh, and then another change, you know, he totally undermined the joke by, and the example, I had to look for this a little bit, uh, the carniflower entry, uh, uh, these utterly unfloral predators. And then I put a note in the side, uh, note, not non-floral, because it's utterly unfloral. Mm-hmm. That is that mm-hmm. is how that joke works. Mm-hmm. And having this copy editor go through and fix things that I was deliberately doing with my language called out to me just how often I do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so for me, the skill that I needed to develop was catching them so that I can put a note on it that says, hey, copy editor, it, don't, that don't fix yes. it. I know this isn't a word. Yeah. <laughs> the... Uh, 
copy editors is when I first realized that I was trusting my own personal style. Yes. It was around book three, maybe book four, when I started saying no to copy edits. Uh, and I'd look at it and say, yes, she's right. That's not a word or that's grammatically incorrect or something. But you know what? I'm going to, I want it that way anyway. That's the way I want it. Um, and so what I've had to learn to do instead is to to watch the copy editors for when my personal style is overrunning the various character styles and yeah. all the characters sound like me mm. because I don't want that, but I do want to make sure my style is there. That's for me, that is past two on uh, every comic strip I write. I will catch pieces of my phrasing. This is how I will begin a sentence when I'm introducing a topic cold to a group of people. You know, I'll often begin with, so, okay, I get one of those every three weeks. I can have <laughs> that. And, and some of these characters just will never say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm removing that one a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I just was going to say that the, one of the things that we're talking about is is actual word choice, but I, I, I want to come back. Yeah. And, we will and, have a podcast on diction. Yeah, and, um, and just remind people that it's that the word choice is informed by your own personal taste, and that is the thing that you need to learn to trust. Dan, you have our homework this yes. week. Yes, so one of the ways that you can start to identify what your own voice is is to take something written by somebody else. And ideally, this will be something you don't like. So a book that you didn't really enjoy or whatever because you want to fix it. It feels wrong to you. It feels awkward. I want you to take that and then rewrite it and rewrite it in a way, going back to what Mary was saying earlier, where the main character is is you or someone very like you, someone from your background, to make sure that it is really your voice coming through in the narration or the dialogue or however you want to do it. And then once you've, you've done that rewrite, you'll have a chance to see, oh, maybe, maybe that, that obviously came from me because it wasn't in the original. So, hey, I just wanted to add one thing that we, we skimmed past in this episode. We mentioned uh, the Own Voices movement, and we didn't actually explain what that was. Uh, the Own Voices movement is a movement that was begun with a hashtag started by Corinne Duvis, excuse me, and... Uh, the idea was that people who have a, a lived life experience, that if you're looking for a book about a disabled person, that you should buy a book that's written by a disabled person. Uh, if you're looking for a book about an African-American person, you should buy a book written by an African-American person. And that uh, that sometimes people can get displaced because it's very easy to just buy a book by an author that you're familiar with. So the idea was that you you get a more um, authentic experience if you are uh, reading a book that is written by someone in their own voice. And and I felt like I did want to just explain where that movement came from, and you should actually read uh, some more about it. Just searching on the hashtag, hashtag own voices, will give you lots of information. And just wanted to share that with you. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.